Good morning. As we just heard in our gospel today from St. Luke, Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem and he seems to be in a bad mood. Along the way, he gives his audience some ominous warnings. For example, alas, this generation will have to answer for every prophet's blood. And the master will come on a day when you least expect. And unless you repent, you will all perish. And finally, cut down this unfruitful tree. Why should it take up the ground? This is so unlike St. Luke to focus on such things. He's usually an optimist and makes us feel good about the future with Jesus. He emphasizes compassion and tenderness. For example, St. Luke gave us the merciful parable of the prodigal son and the story of the thief who repents while hanging next to Jesus. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, to which Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. He also records the dying words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. From the beginning of St. Luke's Gospel, Jesus has identified as the Messiah, God's appointed herald of mercy and salvation. And Jesus would be the Messiah, not just for Israel, but for the whole human race. But, but that doesn't stop St. Luke from warning people about the consequence of straying from the path of faith. Jesus cautions sinners that not all receive salvation. The choice is stark and terrible, prompting a man in the crowd, presumably in some trepidation, as perhaps he considered the unrepented sins of his past. Where will he rank? Among the chosen or the damned? He asks, uh, will only a few be saved? Jesus sidesteps the question and its answer. He has no intention of satisfying the curiosity of his audience about the hidden mysteries of God's will. Instead, he tells them what to do so they don't have to worry about being denied entry into the kingdom. Strive. Make an effort. A great one. Focus your energy. Be single-minded in your determination to follow the Lord. Remember that there's one way to life, and it's through the narrow gate. Jesus' audience probably had some idea of a gate in mind when he describes a narrow one, probably an auxiliary gate in the great walled city of Jerusalem. Such a gate was short and narrow. I probably wouldn't have liked it so much as I'm a normal-sized person of six foot seven inches tall. Probably would have bumped my head as I went in. But it was intentionally short and narrow to slow the momentum of marauders and thieves. And there was an unintended consequence of the narrow gate which served as homiletic imagery for Jesus. That is, heavily laden merchants and the rich couldn't enter without first divesting their camels or donkeys of their packs. In fact, some would even have to leave their wealth behind as the narrow gate was too narrow for the riches to pass, a sign for us of our need to simplify and focus only on the Lord. By contrast, the crowds pouring into the main gates of Jerusalem wouldn't even notice the gate. So in St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says the opposite. That is, the gate is wide and the way easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. Jesus' discourse in St. Luke's Gospel becomes harsher yet. From the idea of the narrow gate, he passes to that of a closed door. Lord, 
open to us, they cry. But the answer they receive is troubling, even disturbing. I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, you evildoers. And there will be white weeping and grinding of teeth. I suppose that these sayings of Jesus have always been hard for people to hear, but especially so today. Let's face it, we're largely lost a sense of sin and our personal responsibility for it, making it a pretty big stretch for us to grasp the consequence for sin, like a permanent separation from God, a place called hell. It seems that we've inherited a naive and easy optimism about life. I remember a song that described this way of thinking in the 60s and the 70s. Slow down. You move too fast. You've got to make the moment last just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. No sense of evangelical urgency there. While former generations focus too much on hell and damnation, we focus on the opposite finding it hard to accept the reality that sin has consequences at all, sometimes eternally. It's one of the reasons, incidentally, I dread funeral eulogies. It's amazing what people think and then say, like the man who played golf every day and returned home to watch westerns on TV without a hint of prayer or service of others, let alone God. But surely God will have mercy and all will be well. Or the godless woman who lived to shop with a huge closet of largely unused clothes while others have nothing, but surely she'll meet Jesus. But by our gospel today, will she really? So many today have little to no appetite for devoting effort to the work of salvation. All the more, then, that we moderns need to listen carefully to what Jesus has to say. And what does he have to say? Surely, above all, do not presume your salvation. Strive to attain it as if everything is dependent on your own effort while knowing that it is a gift from God himself. Be aware that we could end up among those who are counted last and are cast out. Modern Christianity carries a presumption of universal salvation, then. Trouble is... Scripture and tradition stand great, uh, greatly against that idea. We have multiple sayings of Jesus and his apostles, saints and doctors, and church fathers and church mothers that preach the opposite. The erroneous belief in universal salvation is a comfortable and consoling one, most especially, for example, at the funeral. It goes too well, too, with the idea that everything is relative. And lifestyle choices should be completely free to us. But of course, to the Christian, there are issues. For example, what would be the point of evangelization to which Jesus calls us if we will all effortlessly make it to heaven? And why be virtuous or moral if there are no consequences to sin? Why go to Mass or confess your sins? And the ascetical and prayerful saints of our history What a waste of a good life. By contrast, St. Paul pleads in his letter to the Colossians that we must set our minds on things above and uh, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
Thankfully, today the gospel doesn't end negatively. We're left with an image of faithful people from every people and nation taking their place at the heavenly feast. And we're reminded that if the first will be last, it is also true that the last will be first. And that even the worst sinners can be inspired by our communal pursuit of holy and virtuous lives. When we strive to live as God asks, in the end, we have nothing to fear. And then we can wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ.